Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. This is a general public service announcement. The last time Mason Raymond played an NHL hockey game was in the 2016-2017 NHL season, and it was only four games. Oh, I thought he was playing last night, judging by the scoreline. Oh. (laughs) You know, in in a tragic night that was... My emotions rebounded between despair, anger, um, just like outright laughing. It, it bounced. Sheer bewilderment. Yeah. It bounced between those different emotions more than, you know, Jeff Blaschel bounced between his goaltenders in net. <laughs> it was just capped off by hearing Lucas Raymond called Mason Raymond. I get it. I get it. It's not an easy job, but it was, uh, it was, like pouring salt and vinegar in the wound. And the wound was big and it was a lot of salt and vinegar. <sighs> oh, my brain hurts. I uh, I did appreciate that we had 24 hours after that game before recording this episode. Um, I removed every knife in the house that you, Brad, would have walked past between <laughs> there and the studio upstairs. I thought I'd be less angry when I woke up this morning, but like the focuses of my anger just changed. (laughs) When you invoke any kind of reaction, like audible and physical reaction out of Evan, you know the game is notable. What happened? What did I do? Oh, well, you were just describing it to us, your reaction when you saw what the team was doing. It was amongst other things that were also happening in my ears and in my eyes. Some questions are, some statements are best left alone. Yeah, we're not going to dig into that one because I'm afraid we're going to have to make. <laughs> well, if it was on Bally Sports, I wouldn't be having these issues. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, man, national games. Somehow this is the national games, the curse of the national games. Anyhow. How uh, did the Red Wings in Arizona get I national <laughs> Why was that the game that was picked? It was like, what was it? Toronto, Seattle last night? Yeah. Pittsburgh. There were a lot of games uh, last there were, And they were great games. I was like, hmm, these are some cup contenders. Reasonably, you could look at those games and say, man, if I'm a national network, I want these games. And like Avalanche. Best Devils. we can do, Arizona, Detroit. Panthers, Penguins is a phenomenal game. This was the last time, though, they could do the Coyotes in a full NHL-sized building on national TV. Uh, <laughs> my God. Lightning Jets. Rangers Wild. That's a great game. Instead, they picked up. The still in the rebuild Detroit Red Wings in the Arizona Coyotes. I it felt personal. <laughs> Everything about last night felt personal. Anyhow, uh, very obviously we're in a good and calm and rational mood. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about what happened. I'm Ryan Hanna. I am calm and rational, and that's why I'm angry. I'm Brad Crisco, and I'm Evan. I always wonder which is going to be, what's going to happen that's going to cause you to break one day, your uh, your intros. I don't know. 
on this episode of the winged wheel podcast um in all seriousness we are going to break down um the breakdown which was the red wings 9-2 loss against the arizona coyotes no you don't have to rewind whatever you're listening to this podcast on that is correct it was a 9-2 loss to the arizona coyotes uh, we'll be talking about the roster moves that have happened we've had a little bit more information or lack thereof uh, about those over the past couple of days some key statistics and a very um, salient conversation that's happening within Red Wings fandom surrounding Jeff Blashill and what is to come for the coaches um, after a game like that. Uh, if we have time, if we have time, we're going to get into a prospect profile, which seems suitable after last night's performance. Spoiler, it's a defenseman. <laughs> Felt relevant. Shoots right though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, <laughs> we'll take anything. <laughs> we'll take anything after last night. And uh, presume, assuming none of us have been out the window by the end of the episode, we'll go to overtime. Well, although we've done two people overtime before, so we can always just do that. Whoever ends up in the backyard, there's less snow. After. I know how much windows cost. I'm not jumping through them anymore. <laughs> yeah, you've gone through the ringer the past yeah. little while. Um, before we do that, I want to shout out a couple things. First of all, uh, as I've been doing the winged wheel podcast night at the LCA, the tickets are going fast. I am, we are just blown away by, by your response. We've, we're almost having to, uh, to call our friends at the Red Wings and restock, uh, those tickets on the link. So, uh, check out the description of this episode or wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog to find out more about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, including, uh, in addition to the discounted tickets to the Red Wings game that you get, you'll also get access to the pregame event uh, at the Little Caesars Arena, where you can meet the host of the Winged Wheel Podcast, some special guests. Ken Daniels will be there. Maybe his buddy will be there. Uh, we're going to record, again, a live episode at the arena, uh, which was a blast last time, and we're looking forward to doing it again. Um, we are going to have food out for you, uh, some snacks. There will be an opportunity to buy drinks from the bar. Um, Merch, lots of giveaways. You don't have to re-enter the area this time. We're making sure that your ticket gets scanned coming in so you don't have to leave the arena and then come back. Uh, and then the post-game event is at Harry's Detroit Bar and Grill, where we're going to keep the party going. Food, drinks, and they said they'll stay open as long as uh, we're having fun in there. So that's a ch challenge accepted. Poor bastards. <laughs> so, um, and then of course the seats that you're in, if you're in the gondola or lower bowl, those are winged wheel podcast seating sections. And we also have some upper bowl available for you too. So get your tickets today. And of course, most importantly, those benefit, uh, pro portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels foundation. Let us get into it without further ado. The Detroit Red Wings faced off against the Arizona Coyotes. They had a couple nights off after a tough road trip through Florida in which, you know, they had one bad game and one halfway decent game, I'd say, but against two cup contending teams. And then uh, they came up against the Coyotes with a couple nights rest. And then complete and utter collapse. To get the inflammatory question out of the way. Was that the most embarrassing loss of the rebuild? Yes. Okay. There That's was, what I was thinking, but I know we've said that so many times before. Asked that so many times before. I just wanted to be sure. Okay. There was that um, There was that 10-goal loss against Montreal. Yeah. But the Red Wings were a significantly worse team back then. And Montreal is a significantly better team than they are now. I, I have no problem saying that. That's one of the most embarrassing Red Wings losses I've seen in my life. In my life. Two good things happened that game. And actually, one of them, 
got overshadowed so much that I didn't even talk about it in the intro. Jacob Verana came back. Evan, you were right. He came back against Arizona. I told you he would. We have to keep listening to you. Uh, and scored a power play goal. And you could just see how pumped he was. And Even though it was 6-1 at the time. It was 6-1 at the time. And earlier in the game, when there was still hope in our hearts, Moritz Sider trucked Jacob Chikrin. Got penalized for it, which I thought was stupid. That's it. Those are the only two things. Good that, things. that first Red Wings power play was a work of art. Oh, do not sell that short. They had two minutes of possession and not as many chances as you'd like in two minutes, but they had it and did not let the Coyotes out of the zone. And it ended in a goal. That was it. That was the entire game. Those three moments. There was not one other redeeming trait in that 60-minute hockey game. I want to... What do we want to start Like, We got to start with the, the biggest sore spot. We have to, which is the goaltending. The Red Wings have a goaltending problem right now. A big one. Depending on your view of um, tanking and draft positions and such. but uh, <laughs> We are doing a prospect profile. Yeah. Nedeljkovic has fallen off a cliff and Prashanth put out a really great um, chart that just visually really summed it up because it actually did look kind of like a cliff. About 40 games into the year, Alex Nedeljkovic's cumulative goals saved above expected. So these are goals that would have reasonably gone in on league average goaltending. Cumulative was above five. Which is, by NHL standards, means he's an above average NHL goaltender. And this is cumulative. So it all stacks, like positive and negative. It all affects each other over the course of the season. So, you know, he was at about two and a half, 20 games in. And then maybe at like negative two and a half, 30 games in. It, it, It hovers around there. At this current point in time, Evan's laughing because he's looking at the chart. It looks like he's at about, I I can't see the x-axis here or the y-axis here where it is, but it looks like it's about negative 20. That is a 25 goal save, goal saved above expected, or sorry, negative 25 goal saved above expected. So 25 goals since around the 40 game mark shouldn't have gone in on him. I should note where I was talking about Nedeljkovic's cumulative goal saved above expected. I kept saying Nedeljkovic, it was Detroit's. So that's Nedeljkovic and Grice. So I was saying uh, Detroit's, it was saying Nedeljkovic's cumulative goals was, you know, at five and now is at negative 20 or whatever. That's Nedeljkovic and Grice. And, you know, that's all of Detroit's goalies. Yeah. Just to clarify. Hey, speaking of, show me a bad goalie and I'll show you a bad coach, but... (laughs) It's no secret. We're big fans of what Alex Nedeljkovic's talent level is. We were big fans of the acquisition and we've seen him at his height this year. He's, he can play among, you know, the league's upper echelon of goalies, but he has been safe for a couple games here and there outright bad. There's no other way around it. And that doesn't make him a bad goalie. Like we're not screaming, oh, Alex Nedeljkovic is completely devoid of talent. That is not it at all. But he has been playing the past however many games it's been very poorly. The positive spin to put on this is we have 40 games of seeing that Alex Ndelkovic is a very good, very capable NHL starting goaltender, and his recent sample size has been so atrocious it's bumped the Red Wings up a few spots in the draft. <laughs> so if he bounces back to the be- next year like he did at the beginning, it's actually a net positive. Uh, that's the only positive spin I can put on it because this is a very concerning level of regression. There are some technical things that – 
you can actually point to. It's not all just confidence and it's not all just, you know, the defense not helping at all because those are both things that are factors in here. But there's technical things where like some tight angle stuff is weirdly going in and whether it's like just off the top of my head, dropping a shoulder or playing too tight or or not really aligned or it's there's a lot of little stuff that I've seen him do right that we've seen him do right over the course of the year. That's just kind of gone away. And, you know, credit to a lot of people who've been in, in the comments and, and uh, messages um, calling out this specific thing, especially since the start of 2022, but it really seems like it's compounding because he is getting exactly zero help from this team's defense. Like none at all. No, it's, the perfect storm of suck. It's the only way because your goalie can't stop a beach ball and your solution is to give the other team a billion point blank chances. But then again, even look at yesterday, the Coyotes, I forget who it was, Moser had a backhand that went in with no screen from the high slot. I have full confidence. Is he Pavel Datsuk? I don't think <laughs> yeah. so. No, like I have full confidence saying you put me in that net with player gear and I'll get it a couple times. Like it's not a dangerous shot at all. It's like just to really emphasize how bad it's been at points. And, you know, goalie is such a mental position. So when you get in a slight funk, it's obviously going to mess with you and it's hard getting out of. But then when the team in front of you completely melts down over and over again, you lose confidence in the team in front of you. You've lost confidence in yourself. So every time that puck crosses the blue line, your mindset's got to be this puck's ending up in the net somehow. And then you know your backup goal is going to come in and make it worse. Like there's there's no solutions right now with the way everybody's playing. And there's no way everybody involved doesn't realize that. And that's no. not going to help the thing because the defense are going, well, Nadelkovic, if I blow this, Nadelkovic isn't stopping it. And Grace isn't stopping it. Ndelkovic and Grace see the puck on anybody who's stick that's half decent. They're like, yep, this is going to be a grade A chance. And when those thoughts are in your head for 60 minutes a game, it throws everybody off. This is a Jim Matheson. What do you mean? Well, the exact same thing was happening with Edmonton. The goalies <laughs> were like, well, I'm not getting any scoring. Coaches are like, oh, we're not getting any goaltending. And then in comes Jim Matheson. Why are you so pissed <laughs> The, the irony of it, um, for the most part, the Red Wings have been scoring. I mean, they had seven in a game recently and lost. So, <laughs> well, it, that's actually a good point, right? Like, even in games, even in games where the Detroit's defense has failed, which has been, let's be real, most games this year, if not all, it's notable when the Red Wings' defense is sufficient right now, which isn't surprising when you go through the roster. Uh, and even in games where goaltending has failed, the scoring has at least made it interesting notable not completely lost like with 40 minutes left in the game but, but even the scoring wasn't there last night like it all fell off a cliff the to be fair there were games earlier in the season the way Nadelkovich and Grace were playing how everything went last night it wouldn't have been unreasonable to think the way it went that the Red Wings could have won 2-1 they've won those games this year not many but it's happened so you know two's no by no guarantee not a guaranteed win, but it's a possible win. It could be a 2-2 tie. 
see what happens in overtime. That, Shit, if they lost 5-2 and they scored two goals, I wouldn't be this pissed. That was actually the one stat today that uh, surprised the hell out of me, was the, how much the Red Wings are propped up by overtime this year. Oh, yeah. That was concerning because that hadn't even registered in my mind yet. Yeah, was it 13? They are second or third last in the NHL in regulation wins this year. So if you take overtime wins out of it, the Red Wings are legitimately like in the Shane Wright sweepstakes. Yeah. Which, hey, there's something to be said because, you know, who's been winning it in overtime? Well, all the players you need to be winning it in overtime. So, like, it's, there's, it's a positive thing just with a negative consequence overall. Let's go through the game just as a quick run through. Uh, Arizona opened up scoring. We, do we have enough time for this? Yeah. <laughs> Robbie Fabry at the end of an excellent power play, like Brad noted, where they kept the zone like four different times. It was essentially two minutes straight in Arizona's zone. Finished with uh, Bertuzzi to Larkin, back to Bertuzzi to Fabry in front, who buried it. Exactly the way you want that play to run. And we were like, oh my God, that was one of the nicest power plays we've seen in a while. And then it was... 6-1 before Detroit saw any kind of offense again. There is a uh, power play in front with Verano um, from Rasmussen and Zadina. Verano spun around, puck on the toe of his stick, the toe of his blade, and fired it home. And in his first game back, it was very reminiscent of his first game ever with the Red Wings, where he buried that breakaway goal. Um, but you could see how absolutely pumped up he was. Like That meant a lot to him, and it was it was the silver lining for the game. You joked, Brad. Verona just single-handedly saved the second power play unit, and you were kidding. But Verona did just single-handedly make the second power play unit somewhat notable. That was the second power play unit's first goal since December? I I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> I want to say December. It's been a while. I, I don't – I can't even confirm that. If you were if you were wrong, I wouldn't know it because it sounds right. And it doesn't matter because even if I'm not exactly right, I'm. we all know I'm not far off. <laughs> It could be January, it could be November, we're not a thousand percent sure. And the fact that I can quantify this in months. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Coyotes ended up scoring three more. This was a game where Nadelkovich came out, was not good, and was not helped by defense. Everyone was bad. But then we haven't even talked about the concerning part, which is now, I think I've before the season seen it maybe two or three times in my lifetime, and this is the second time in two weeks the Red Wings have pulled a goalie just to pull his replacement and throw the first guy back in. Yeah, he was... Uh, Maybe he just needed a hot dog or take a shit or something. <laughs> I don't know. I think he smashed his helmet. I think because he came out with a helmet uh, that had a Carolina Hurricanes logo on it. I think that was his backup helmet. Did he actually? I completely missed that. I can't verify that. Someone posted on Twitter and I didn't have a chance to go look, but I think he... Because he was pissed, obviously. No shit. He knows it. You know, that sucked. Um, but yeah, it was Nedeljkovic let in uh, four goals on 12 shots. Grice went in. Let in two goals on four shots, including the first one on him, I believe. And it was Nadelkovich right back in. And it's been – you almost never see double goalie pulls ever. It's super rare. We've and seen it twice in five games. That's remarkable. Not in a good way. No. But just like truly remarkable. Like I said, I don't remember this happening more than twice in my life. And I'm almost as old as Michael Bunting. Like it's – so bad. I almost missed your joke there. The part that pissed me off a lot was, okay, this game is lost. Like this game is done and gone, done and gone. There, this isn't the Toronto game. You're not going to do that every time. The offense isn't there tonight. This game is lost. Nadelkovich is back in. If I'm a defenseman playing on that on that team that night, 
I am doing everything in my damn power to a make sure that net that crease is clear of Arizona Coyotes forwards. I don't care. I see. We're coming back to this conversation. What the punk test? No, the the Red Wings are terrible in and around their net. Oh yeah, 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 hundred percent. Circle back to that punk test. I want to talk about that. Yeah, we will. And b I am laying out the body. Anything I can do to make my goaltender's night just mildly less absolutely terrible. And what do we see is like Gustav Lindstrom completely giving up on the play. Jordan Osterley gliding back to the zone rather than pick up the trailer who ended up scoring on Nedeljkovic. Like there were goals that were 100% the goalie's fault, both Nedeljkovic and Grice. But there were also goals where it's like that was preventable, guys. The function of a goalie isn't to save 100% of every – like. It's going to sound like a ridiculous thing to say, but sometimes the defensemen have to do something to save the goalie's ass. That's how hockey works. And the defensemen, they may as well have lined up on the hash marks ready to break out like they were on offense because they were doing jack shit to save this team. Gustav Lindstrom was a minus six. Yeah, surprise, <laughs> surprise is not worse. And he was, he was, uh, he's looking to be scratched for tomorrow night. Yeah, based on, um, we'll talk about this after, but yeah, a lot of things changed in the lineup this morning at practice going into tomorrow's game, which was good at least because we'll get to the Blashill conversation, but I'm happy he woke up angry. I'm happy that it wasn't status quo. You look at the lines in the lineup and who's in and out of the roster. He nuked everything this morning, which is good. He needed to. You can't, even if the lines don't functionally improve, he needed to send that message. You and you, you're terrible. Out of the lineup. You, out of the lineup. You, you're going down to the third line. You, this is the new line. Like players, when they see that dramatic of a shuffle, they, they know. They they know what's going on. Let's be real. The Detroit Red Wings are not a reactionary organization. Steve Eisman is not a reactionary reactionary general manager. Within the greater context of the rebuild, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of leeway and runway, whether fans like it or not, including us. If any coach in the league had that kind of game and didn't make those changes that you just said, that it then the moves that would then ha- be happening after would be the coaching staff being fired. You had to see what he did today in practice to have any. It's just what had to happen is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, it absolutely had to happen because this was, you know, we've been very critical of Blashill over his tenure. We haven't loved a lot of what he did. We point out his flaws all the time, but then there was some notable improvements. And so we we haven't been too, too hard on him this year. But even in the really bad stretches over the rebuild, I don't think there's ever been a moment where we thought he he was actually on the hot seat. We're like, oh yeah, this could be it. He could be fired. His contracts expired a couple times and we were wondering, eh, maybe they don't resign him. But like, never have we sat there in the middle of the season going, yeah, this could be it. I remember one time in late December, I believe of 2019, I think I thought new GM, Maybe he's on the hot seat, but then we got the first vote of confidence from Eisenman, and I'm like, no, no, we're good. Yeah. This was the first morning of his entire tenure where I woke up going, I, this might be it. I, because the stretch they've been on, the way the team has regressed over the last couple months, accumulating in the most embarrassing loss in the totality of the rebuild. I didn't think it was going to happen, but it was the first time I go, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if today was the day. 
But yeah, so um, a lot of the flaws in what Blash Hill, a lot of Blash Hill's flaws really came to the forefront last night. Um, this was the, we've seen poor efforts from the Red Wings over the rebuild. Last night was probably the first game where I was watching going, this team literally legitimately does not give a shit right now. Not one of them wanted to be there. Not one. Lucas Raymond and Dylan Larkin were minus five each. When the hell would you ever see that? And against the Coyotes. I don't understand. Like, like there were three players. Bill Kessel didn't even play. He played 30 seconds, almost scored, and went home for the birth of his child. Yeah. What a beauty. That's just classic Phil. Yeah. yeah. There was three players on the Red Wings who were in even. What was it? Valeno, Heronic, and uh, doesn't even matter. Don't care. Like, they gave up. They gave up last night, circling to what you want. And we were, remember one of the big takeaways we had at the end of October is the Red Wings are not failing the punk test anymore. They failed the punk test miserably last night, not just from the give a shit level, because when games are going like that, that's when the team needs to rally around it. You said you brought up correctly the goalie, like you have to live and die to save your goalie's ego, basically at that point. And a good team will do that. A motivated team will do that to be like, yeah, we're down by seven goals, but we're not letting another one in. They'll jump in front of everything. They'll collapse in front of that. They might not get another shot on net the rest of the game because they know that doesn't matter, but our goal is not getting embarrassed. They were getting punked all over the ice. I remember one play specifically. Now, normally in a normal circumstance, this is dumb hockey bro logic, but I've been in locker rooms recently and in the past. I wonder if we're thinking the same one here. The Red Wings had a power play. Philip Zadina is entering the zone. He's got three players standing completely still, so he has to skate this on his own, which is not relevant to the game. That's a normal problem. <laughs> but number 61 from the Coyotes, I don't know, remember who it is, steps up and blows him up. Just crushes Zadina as he's crossing the blue line. Clean hit. Absolute textbook. Beautiful hit. When you're down 7-2, 8-2, whatever it was in that circumstance, and they're still taking run at, a run at you, that Philip Zadina should not have even been back on his feet by the time one of his teammates was punching that guy in the face. Like it sounds caveman and dumb, but in that circumstance, you have to show your, someone has to show your teammates you care about them and give a shit. Zadina got blown up while still trying to compete in a game that was very well lost. Nothing. And there were smaller examples of that throughout yeah. the rest of the game, but that was the one that really stood out to me. Like, Guys, one of your young guys, one of the players who should be one of the futures of your team, just got dummied in an 8-2, 9-2 game. What are we doing here? It's just about sending a message, not to the Coyotes. They're up 8-9-2. They don't care. You're sending a message to your teammates, not even just Adina. You're sending a message to everybody on that bench. I still care. I'm still here. This still matters. That was the shining moment of everything that went wrong with that game last night. There's a moment in uh, the Coyotes were pushing, right? They were pushing the whole game, like 60 minutes, which they put Chikrin and everybody out in the last minute of the game. You know what? Good for them. Oh, they, to be fair, him and Schmelz were going for the Hattie. I would have done the same thing, yeah. but the Red Wings can't be cool with that. And they shouldn't be cool with that. And they were cool with that. The Red Wings don't like it. Go out and do something about it. Yep. Stop. Them yeah. From I hate when teams are like, oh, like, wow. They got all poopy pants because the other team <laughs> just tries to bury them. Like, I hate that shit. Hard ending analysis. <laughs> I hate that. It's such, so Bush League. It is. And that here's the thing. So the, the Coyotes are pushing all night. If the Coyotes laid off and, you know, they were essentially just running out the clock. 
I could I could almost hear an argument against what you just said, Brad, but they weren't. And you're you're clearly not stopping them in net, and you're clearly not stopping them on defense. Make their life hard. Instead, what's happening? Arizona Coyotes player in the crease after the whistle, not clearing out on his own. And I think it was Joe Valeno was there, you know, kind of shoves him. The guy punches Joe Valeno in the chest and backs away and like it like backs up into the board. And every other Red Wings player is just like meandering off and no one else is in there. And Valeno, Valeno's like, I'm not going to do this 1v1. And I'm just like, if, if you're protecting blue paint, like it means nothing. The game is lost. You're going to accomplish nothing by taking a penalty, but you're, you've lost this game. If this is legitimately the punk test. When you have nothing left to do you have to at least make it hard to play against you that's it and what would that have won would that have changed how hard the loss was would that have changed how pissed off fans are today would that have changed anything anything absolutely not but for your teammates and for your team and from the coach down and from the players up you have to do that there was a steve eisenman is constantly you know quoted out of context and his like facial expressions are constantly pulled out of context <laughs> the the man just like he's just ironclad right like he just doesn't show anything and it's so easy to pull like that um i can't remember the quote it was it was after a trade the, the you'd have to ask them quote oh yeah like that was the nadelkovich yeah, yeah that was an, well, funny enough and th- that was hysterical when he said that but steve eisman was literally just saying like he doesn't like stupid questions for me. He's like, I, I'm not going to answer there. He's like, ask them. I don't know. Like you ask me what they're thinking. I don't know. But this was the first time where I've looked at a video of Eisenman not speaking to the camera. And I'm like, oh no, you can glean what's happening here. He's pissed off. Someone said, uh, they tweeted at us. They're like, does Eisenman know he only has one tongue? Cause he was chewing on it that hard. <laughs> like he looked pissed watching that game. I felt like I was in trouble and I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't it's you imagine being as good as he was as a player and, and watching like this how the Red Wings are like you know entwined in, in, in his DNA yeah so he's got a lot more at at stake in this than most GMs probably ever would so for him it's probably like I don't know how these guys can play this bad and not care this much and he's like in the city where I brought these cups home yeah it's more personal for him Look, I think teams are allowed to have bad games, and I think these games are going to, maybe not to this degree, hopefully, but there's going to be embarrassing games for every every team, good or bad. The Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, before they ended up winning the Cup, they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets when they should have rolled them, right? The Toronto Maple Leafs make a habit of doing this about once every other week. They're probably not a good comparison because they don't win jack shit, but still. Actually, no, the Leafs are the perfect example because that's, to this point, that's what you can't become when you turn the corner. You can't become the team that folds every year. And if games like this happen as frequently as they do, what is this? The Red Wings uh, have allowed the most games with six goals against since the 80s. This season. They're, they're worse for the blowouts than they were in the 1920 season. Think about that. Was that part of Prashant's uh, Twitter storm of shitty yeah. shitty stats today? Good stats, but like, yeah. they made you feel bad. I offered him $5 to not post them. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't enough, apparently. The the Red Wings literally are getting blown out and caved more this year than they did in 2019-20. Think about that. 13 regulation wins. Michael Bunting was only six then. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, he was already 32 then. What are you talking about? <laughs> My... I don't know where to start with it. Like we're going to have the Blashill conversation, but when you boil it down, when you really boil it down to what happened last night, the goaltending was as bad as it's been all season and it's been bad. The defending was as bad as it's been all season and it's been bad. And, you know, for once the offense wasn't there to do something even to create a spark. They generated nothing at five on five. And the team altogether looked flat. And I'm not talking like we need Jordan Osterley to go be Mo Sider. I mean, we need Jordan Osterley to keep moving his damn feet and pick up the trailer. We need Jordan Osterley to be Jor- Jordan Osterley. It's not that big of an ask. Everything looked bad. And that's that's what I keep thinking about. Like, does one beget the other? Like, did the team just fall through the floor once they saw the kind of goaltending they were getting from Nadelkovic and Grice? Did uh, Nedeljkovic and Grice just completely collapse once they realized they could not buy one defensive stop from, you know, Gustav Lindstrom and whoever else? Uh, Was the offense like, we just got caved for six goals in the first however many minutes of this game against the Arizona Coyotes? Like, this is all futile? Like, what really happened? I've had some time to decompress. (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. No, very clearly not enough. Hey, we haven't yelled yet, so we're doing great. I just, I don't know. I, I, I try, I try to be pretty level-headed about this, and I don't know. I'm not the kind of person that thinks one game should cause for change, but I don't think that the people who are calling for change can be called crazy here. Well, at least these types of losses are happening right now. If we're gonna have them, I wish we. I wish. The, I wish the Red Wings wouldn't. You know, that'd be even better. Yeah. Yeah, but when this team's bad. They don't have the floor to just like kind of get away with it. When they're bad, they are, they clearly stink. Like they are so bad. But I'd rather these losses happen right now when there's zero expectations. I mean, there's some, but I would say no, no real expectations. Like they're not looking to make a push deep in the playoffs and they're getting laying an egg against Arizona. That would be a concern. Um, I think there's lots to learn from from your failures and losses in games like this. Um, it just cannot become a habit. That last here's the thing: if this stops here, and that's that's the last time we see a loss like this, you know, for that's years, good. then then we'll look back and we'll say, "What a bunch of reactionary assholes." That wouldn't be us. Not us, no. But you know, this happened five games ago against. It Toronto. happened literally two games ago again, or one game ago against Florida. <laughs> It, I understand the season is long, and when you have a team for everybody though, when you have a team that's held up by like rookies and they've not played an eighty-two game season and a yeah. bunch of like, let's be real, at best NHL replacement level players on defense for a lot of it who are yeah. glued together by like creative lineups and Mo Sider propping them up that can only hold up so long. But it's not like they got caved by the Penguins or the Coyotes or sorry or the, yeah they got uh, they, it's the Coyotes guys, it's the Coyotes. Nick Ritchie pulled Mark Stahl's hair and speared a guy in the balls and walked off the ice. What are we doing? Failing the punk test. So here's the one Prashant uh, stat Prashant brought up today that kind of amplifies this. If you want, if because the important thing you said is you can't make this a habit. They've, <laughs> they've made this a habit. In their last eight games, 45 goals against. 
That is the most goals they have allowed in an eight-game stretch since the 80s. The 80s, where there was like 30% more goals per game. (laughs) So take the over. Where if you wanted to win the scoring title, you had to break 150 points. 45 goals in eight games. And they have allowed six goals or more, more times than they did in one of the worst seasons in franchise history. This is a habit. The difference is, and it's a positive difference, is the games in between have been less bad, a lot, even good. But the getting run out of the arena, the absolute defensive collapses. Didn't someone throw it, a jersey on the ice yeah, last night? Yeah, oh, yeah. Now we're about to go on a real heater. Yeah. yeah. It's a habit. It, you take the, re- like, it sounds like overly critical, but if you take the first third of the season out and you only look at the last two thirds, this is one of the worst teams in the league. And I don't think that gets mentioned as often as it probably should. Cause we all, as we should be, are in a season where we are trying really hard to focus on the positives. Cause there have been some pretty serious positives between Raymond, Sider, Larkin, Bertuzzi. But the negatives from the past few seasons are still there. And in some instances, like the one we're just talking about are worse. Like, this team is uh, it's been a fun ride this year for sure for better or for worse there's been a lot of positives like we mentioned but this team is very much showing that it is still very very far away we thought we were over like the chaotic up and down (laughs) after the last couple seasons we're like we don't care if they're bad just please don't be boring we missed when that monkey paw curled <laughs> they're not boring that's for sure they sure as hell are not boring one way or year. another you're getting excitement okay quick interlude here uh we have conversations about Yolevi de kaiser uh and a more concerted jeff blashill question coming up but before that i want to tell you that this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the fan duel sportsbook sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need even more excitement in the game (laughs) hope you took the over there's so many reasons why fan duel is america's number one sportsbook uh, from ease of use uh, in registrations deposits and finding your best bet and withdrawals are quick and easy fan duel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours they're always running great odds boosts and specials every day with some big super each weekend now listen to this FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to one thousand dollars just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to one thousand dollars back in site credit if you don't win that first bet no strings attached you win you keep the cash you lose you get the grand back in site credit what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Let's jump, let's dial back to a happier time like 36 hours ago or whatever it was uh, right after the blow loss to a good team. The Red Wings uh, had a roster jam because they had picked up Olio Levy from waivers and um, 
they had a move to make. On last episode, we said what we think is the most sensible move to make would be to waive Danny DeKaiser, not likely to be claimed, which is an understatement, and you're not exposing an asset for no reason. But as we've seen with you know the way Jeff Blaschel uses Danny DeKaiser, there is some affinity to to play him um, on the left side, and that's probably just born of there's no one else to do it, like unless you want to bring up Dan Renuff. So there's not really a compelling argument. Anyhow, the Red Wings have shown some loyalty to Danny DeKaiser in the in the waning days of his career. So we thought, eh, they probably won't do it out of loyalty. So like, maybe we see a trade, maybe the wave, they wave Stretcher, whatever it might be. It was Danny DeKaiser's birthday. And Steve Eisenman waved him. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And it... Did he get sent down? Down? So what happened was, and it's been really confusing. They waived him. Obviously, didn't get claimed. And then they put him on IR, which was weird. And everyone was asking the same question. Like, why can we just not put him on IR then? Jeff Blaschel got asked the question today. His answer was, his answer was very non-answery. And it was- Shocking. No, no, no. Is it because he's not a GM? No, I like this isn't a criticism of Blashill. I no, think, it's what he should do. I'm not, but like, no, it, this is different. Like sometimes hockey coaches don't answer questions because they're like, it's none of your business. There's no league prerogative for us to share this information with you. Buzz off. But this was, you know, why'd you, you know, why'd he go on IR? Why'd you wave him if he was just going to go on, on IR? And his answer was essentially, you know, waving Danny was uh, good for flexibility and that's what the team needed. And as for the IR, it was a, minor injury that's just been nagging him for a while and uh needs the oil change what he's saying I, I if you read between the lines here it's not all as it's presented to be i think it's a little bit like they put him on ir so he doesn't have to report to grand rapids right like yeah a, a thousand percent so it, it, the, I think the part about the flexibility was true. That is true. Because now did it. He, he does not have to go through waivers again for 30 days, I believe. Something like that. Something like that so he went unclaimed. I don't think that's a problem. It's not a problem anymore. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. But, you know, for paper moves, I'm sure there's some relevance there. But this IR is seven days, I believe. And we're a week and a half from the trade deadline, which is probably not nothing. I'm sure the Red Wings know that they are not going to have this roster logjam after the trade deadline. There's a chance that before in the next couple games, someone does get hurt or injured or whatever, or someone just plays so poorly, they just punt them to, into the sun. Um, and DeKaiser will be right back playing the same in and out role that he was. And, you know, that makes sense. And, you know, at this stage in DeKaiser's career, yeah, it's understandable. He doesn't want to go to the AHL. I would. Get- no, he's playing like the last two months of his career. And almost certain you don't pay escrow in the AHL. <laughs> get so out of here. That's why Wade Redden refused to get called up because he wasn't paying escrow that's on that amazing. crazy contract. But um, is that real? Yes. Oh my god! I, I'm not sure if it still is the case, but I am almost 100 percent certain. That there was no escrow that had to be paid if you got sent down to the I AHL. I think they must have changed it because of him. Because the first headline I see is Wade Redden rule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, keep going, Brad. But um, yeah. And the so I don't think anything Blashell said was untrue because the nagging injury thing is probably very legitimate. I think everybody's been watching DeKaiser going, oh, yeah, his body's wrecked. 
So he's probably always got some kind of nagging injury that you can justify putting him on IR for. He's just, he's a hockey player. He's tough. He knows this is the twilight of his career and he doesn't want to spend the rest of the season on IR. Fair, totally fine. So they just use it as an excuse because they can here. Hopefully he understands the situation, the situation. Even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's the right call. And yeah, so I think all Iserman did there was buy time. Yeah. Yeah, he that, did. That, that's all it boils down to is he just tried buying time. They might have to assign him to Grand Rapids for a week or uh, just to get through the trade deadline. Maybe Eisenman rushes one of his trades. All right. We're not going to get anything for Letty. He's been terrible. You know, Minnesota's offering us a fourth. Just take it. Like, let's just be done with it. He's gone. Danny's gone. Roster jams freeze up and then spends the rest of the deadline focusing on like Nemesnikov or Stahl or whatever. Like all hypotheticals, right? So, yeah, I, I think all this boiled down to was just buying time. We're going to cover this in a future episode. We're going to have trade deadline specific stuff coming up here. Um, I don't think Letty moves if the offer's a fourth, but we'll get into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> might not yeah. be a better offer than that. He bought time. And again, it was the most rational choice, and we all laughed at ourselves for even doubting it. This is the same guy who bought out Abdicator, waved Jonathan Erickson over after all those years. Traded the Cowlin. Yeah. Left St. Louis off the team. He'll do. He'll make the hard decisions. And it was a little bit of uh, trauma that I think got us to think that this might not happen. But anyhow, Danny DeKaiser was practicing today with the Red Wings. Yep. The Olevi thing has been interesting. So I've been asking around a little bit more on him from people who'd be, you know, more in the know from his time in Vancouver. The story is, and, and, you know, we might've already said this last episode and some of you might already know this. He, he had an okay, not fantastic, but still decent uh, draft plus one year. And what the Canucks did was they asked him to put on a bunch of weight uh, in the off season that followed that. And apparently it just destroyed his game. He put on like 15 pounds uh, over the courses of a summer and then just stopped being able to pivot, like skate and pivot, which as Same, a man, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is incredibly relatable. Um, he, he just lost all of his explosiveness and his development apparently fell completely off the rails after that. And then he had major knee surgery and then major back surgery. And then it just, he never came back from it. So Apparently, there's not much to be expected in terms of defending in space for Yolevi. So, knowing all that, not, not that anyone was had a Yolevi hype train, but anything, anything halfway serviceable from Yolevi would be seen as a win here. Yeah, well, that's how we phrased it. If he's a, your bottom pairing left defenseman, it's a, it's a great waiver claim. If he's that... Because, yeah, we don't know a lot of what he has. And I guess they did a pretty poor job of explaining this because my ultimate point was we haven't seen a lot of him in the NHL. Nobody knows really what he has. But the small sample sizes he have had were bad. They were not good. Um, But it's a no-risk move. Don't expect anything. And if he's anything halfway decent, great. It's a win. It's a reclamation project. Whenever a team takes on a reclamation project, it's not because that player is good at that time. There's a reason they they... Don't work out way more than they do. For every one Robbie Fabry, there's also a Brendan Perlini, uh, Madison Bowie, uh, you know, so on and so forth. The guys who just 
hey, here's a decent reclamation project that never panned out. So you hope, and unlike Perlini and a couple of those other reclamation projects, this wasn't a trade. This cost nothing. It was very, it was a very free asset. It was totally free. Which when you're in the position, when it's at a direct position of need, you definitely should do it. And when you're talking about your, you know, Danny DeKaiser's playing because the only other option on that side is Dan Renouf, then it's fine to take the risk on this. If Yolevi comes and falls on his face, it'll make no difference to the Red Wings. Yeah, exactly. Because um, the Red Wings' entire left side is already doing that. So if Yolevi comes in and he's terrible, which is likely what's going to happen, that is the most likely outcome, it doesn't fundamentally change the Red Wings as they are now. It's status quo. It's not like they're in a playoff hunt and he's going to be the reason they absolutely fall out of it. Okay. I feel like we didn't do enough service to Jacob Ron in this episode. I feel like we didn't do enough service to Moritz Sider blowing up Jacob Chicker in this episode. If we got into that, that would get me in on the refing, and I've had I'm tired of that conversation. We need to give time here, and I, I know we might run long, but we need to give time here to the question now. Um Jeff Blaschel after that game. You're Steve Eiserman. What are you doing? Nothing because he's not reactionary. I'm not reactionary. If that game, what's your limit, right? Because you said it can't become a trend. So is your limit, we can't see that shit again this year? Like that game can't happen again? Well, it might because who do they have next? (laughs) Minnesota, then Calgary? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's the Red Wings upcoming schedule is Minnesota Thursday night at seven in Detroit. And then they're on the road against Calgary at seven on Saturday. Uh, and then Tuesday is Edmonton at 9 p.m. also on the road. And then Vancouver and then Seattle. It's a whole West Coast road trip. But that's their next four, five games. Maybe Seattle's the only easy customer there. Vancouver's trying to get into a playoff spot. Oilers are trying to all save their jobs. And Calgary is playing like Calgary has always wanted to play. Like Those aren't easy matchups. So yeah. if that this happens again over those five games, you're... I don't think they fire a coach on the road. Nope, it's not happening on that Western Canada swing. That's for sure. After it, wait, though. where's Jeff Blashill from? Is he from Western Canada? No, he's no from I, Michigan. Yeah, oh yeah, that's he's right. he's from the that's UP. Right. Yeah, but um, no, I think the ideal time to have made a coaching change midseason has already come and gone. Not that Blashill deserved it at the time. Um, if this game happens in mid January, I think we probably we might have seen it. Because if you get a new coach in here, they don't really have enough runway to really make any impactful changes on the team, um, especially with the trade deadline coming up. Because it's gonna, it might be a very different looking team in two weeks than it does right now. For me, you ride out the road trip, like, and this is worst case scenario. I'm, I would still think Blashell's riding out the season, no matter what they decide to do with them, no matter what. Okay. That and that we've established that, like that's that's the likely outcome here. So yeah. obviously, Eisman is going to go out and fire him tomorrow to prove like, yeah, this yeah. Be wrong. But now, answer as Brad for the rest of it. They, they're everyone's walking on the plane. He's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's like, yeah, yeah, I understand. Like I said, the time that I would have done it has come and gone, and I would have done it because I have I've seen some progression in Blashell as a coach, but not nearly enough to justify all the massive criticisms I've had of him over the last. Oh my God, almost seven years. Um, But if I were in Iserman's shoes with the information we have now, understanding the time, 
and understanding the problems, I am at least riding it out a few games past the trade deadline because players view all this stuff very differently than we do. Mm -hmm. The players are in the room right now. They don't want trades. As far as the Red Wings are out of it, they're never going to fully think they're out of it until it's out of it. And the fact that they could still be considered in a playoff race and laid the egg like they did last night is concerning. So if they, you know, trade two, three, four guys, that's not going to go over well in the room. It's not. Even if the players fully understand the situation, it's still not going to be happy days. It's going to be the coach's job to keep that team playing hard. So if the Red Wings come out of the trade deadline and they look very motivated and they're busting ass, and even if they're not winning games, as long as they're decent games, they're not getting blown out. You know, if they're losing to Florida 4-2, losing to Toronto, you know, 3-2, fine, fine. That's that's acceptable. You just let them ride out the season and reevaluate. If they come out after the trade deadline with a string of three games like we just saw, you you can't let that continue. Because you just sent a message to the players. You traded a bunch of them. After a few of the bunch of them are getting scratched this morning, the players will have received the message. Now it's the coach's job to get them motivated and keep them motivated. And if he can't, then systems be damned, rest of the season be damned. Who cares? It's a write-off. You need to send the message regardless. So that's where my mentality would be right now. And even then, I don't think that's ideal but it's you got to play the hand you're dealt yeah it's not going to be popular i know uh but i'm going to fence it i'm going to pull an old evan um what i didn't sit on the fence no no you you usually do you didn't today so yeah you've actually made me look worse so now i'm happy for all those high uh quotes you got for reciting your house and getting a new garage door. Oh man! Way to <laughs> cut deep. Sorry, wound hasn't even closed. <laughs> okay, no. In all honesty, I, and I understand this isn't going to be a popular opinion, but for a lot of what you said, Brad, I think it's very fair to say yes. Jeff Blashill should be on the hot seat, but I think it's also very fair to say they just got some of the worst goaltending this team has seen in years, and they're con- they're continuing to get that right now. That can't be ignored. They have defense that's coming out and playing like absolute garbage. A lot of that, most of that has to do with who they are as players. I think some of that does fall on Blashill for what it's worth. That's a good chunk of, you can coach defensive systems. Pittsburgh won a Stanley Cup with Brian Dumoulin as their number one defenseman. It can be done. I think Blashill's on the hot seat. And I think this can't be ignored. And I think the want for the status quo and keeping the ship up like steady, through the storm and waiting until the team is viable before starting to make this, these decisions that can't supersede the fact that these games keep, keep, can't keep happening. If two games like this in five, wasn't the limit. I can accept that argument three and five, but it's five, three and five. It can't be much more than this, which I think is the point you were making. Yeah. It can't be much more. If, I, if any at all, more than this, like the the importance of not getting shelled so you don't destroy a goalie's entire back half of the season so you don't destroy you know Lucas Raymond's confidence in his offensive abilities because he's not doing anything in a game where his entire team's getting caved where you don't destroy more outsiders you know concept of what playing on a winning team is like these kinds of things have a mental impact and yeah 
the goalies coming out and sucking right off the bat is going to tank them. That team was going to lose whether or not Jeff Blashill coached the best or worst game of his life just because of how the goalies played. That is a fact. But at the same time, the rest of the team came out flat and they didn't know how to recover from it and they didn't adapt to it and they got caved for nearly 60 full minutes. That- the only real skill you need to have as an NHL coach is be an excellent motivator. And stay out of their way. That's it. Well, sorry. No, that's actually reductive. I think <laughs> that's not even my opinion. I think coaches have a big impact, but at the very least, yeah, you need to be a good motivator. You need like, to bring out the best of your players. Like look at Bruce Brujo. He just walks into a room and everyone's like, that guy's the best. I'm going to go do shit for that guy. I think Bruce Brujo is like a really good offensive mind. Well, he's just like, Brock Besser, you shoot the puck really hard. You should do more of that. And he's like, okay. And then, Bru- they, see, and then they go and score. <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux's strength as a coach is he lets his skilled players be skilled players. We talked about it when Marty St. Louis got hired by Montreal, where he's like, yeah, you have to let those guys control the game offensively. You can't coach it out of them. And my ultimate philosophy on coaching is overcoach defense, undercoach offense, because you can Oh, how convenient. Yeah. The man who plays on forward. <laughs> man who sits in the offensive zone all game thinks he should stay out of forward's way. Huh? Yeah, because we got to deal with defensemen like you. So, you know, <laughs> what, ne- ones who can't artistry? shoot. <laughs> but um, thank you, Evan. I take back what I said. <laughs> but um, yeah, and we've seen the Red Wings, like last year, they improved defensively dramatically. And they've taken huge steps back this year huge and with arguably well not arguably definitely better defensemen are they most higher yes you get him for almost half a game now it's a huge improvement yeah i guess i can't even remember who played for detroit last year doesn't matter yeah like john merrill and patrick nemeth were ah uh, there's the names but like That's they're not guys about. who are, should be making or breaking your defense definitely Better on the left side than anybody they have this year. No arguments there, but didn't have a Mo Sider, so we'll call it a wash. Um, but yeah, so in a game like that where your goaltenders are horrible, you got to double, triple down on your defense. You should not be giving up that many shots. The Carolina Hurricanes beat the Toronto Maple Leafs with a beer league goalie. Like, I know the Hurricanes then and the Red Wings now are on two different planes of existence. But they beat one of the top teams in the NHL with a beer league goalie. They sold out on the defense so much. So I don't accept this. You're going to lose anyway. Well, I'm sorry. Sure. With the talent the Red Wings have in a situation like that, yeah, they probably lose that game no matter what. It didn't have to be 9-2. That could have been a 4-2 loss. That could have been a 4-3 loss. That could have been a 3-1 loss, whatever. But it's the stat. What was the expected goals that game? 3-2. And I, I don't even, I think the two for the Red Wings is generous, but. Three two. That's a that's a big goaltending deficiency, and Carolina Carolina was able to do that because they had and have one of the a fantastic decor. Oh, don't get me wrong, different planes of existence. I understand that, yeah. but it shows that when you completely sell out on defense, when you have a less than stellar goaltender, it can be done. And again, even if that game was only five two, you know what? That's not it's not nine two. That's like and again circling back to the point i made earlier if this game existed in a bubble fine i get that it's arizona and that's always unacceptable but every team is going to lay an egg once or twice a year like that you just hope it doesn't get that bad but whatever this is a habit this year this is a continuous trend this is a pattern of getting shelled like the red wings haven't seen in three decades 
This, that is the problem. I think one of our um, criterias for success this year was also, yeah, the Red Wings are still going to lose, but there should be less 5-1, yeah. 6-1, 7-2 type scores. I don't know if there are more or there are less than last year, but it's starting to feel like there's more. <laughs> they they turned the 6-1 losses into 6-3 losses this year is basically what's happened. <laughs> One thing that I want to add to my, I don't know, I don't even know what my position I ended up landing on was you look at it, you you break it down objectively and you look at, okay, yeah, look at how many goals the, the, the goalies let in that shouldn't have gone in. Like, completely blew that game wide open. And then you look at how many defensive lapses that there were that just completely buried and exposed your goalies who are already having a terrible night. And that's a mental position. So if you're having a bad night and then you get something that shouldn't come your way, it's going in. You look at the effort from the players, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of justification to say, as I said, like I'm, I'm countering my own argument here. It doesn't matter if Blasio coached a great game, they were going to lose that night. There's still an emotional part of me that says after games like that, it does not, it almost doesn't matter when it's that bad. It almost doesn't matter. You have to look at the head of the beast and say, what needs to change here? I don't even know if I agree with that part. I I don't, it doesn't, it's not a rational thing to say, but if it keeps happening like this and there's still justifiable arguments every time to say he's getting like historically bad goaltending, after a while, the patience does run out. And after a while, I think it does have a profound effect mentally on the team. I don't, my end result here is I'm not advocating to say, yeah, fire blast will come like right at this moment or even at all. But I, I just want to kind of add that caveat to my point of just because there are arguments against it does not mean that there isn't a very, you know, in your face point of, yeah, sure, Ryan, but they lost 9 2 to the fucking Coyotes. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's sitting here and you're saying fire Blashill just because of last night's game, you're missing the point. Like, so there's the, another page in the uh, HR folder kind of thing. Yeah, and because um, a lot of NHL franchises get it backwards, where they hold the count, the coach accountable before the players, and that should never happen. The coach, obviously. It's his responsibility to motivate the players, but good NHL players can motivate themselves even if they don't have a coach. You want to send the players the message first and between what happened today, between DeKaiser getting waved a couple days ago, a bunch of guys getting scratched, the lines getting torched, and what's likely going to be a bunch of players getting shipped out in the next two weeks, the players are getting the message very loud and very clear. Now the only person, the next person that you have to send a message to, if it doesn't work, is the coach. That's kind of where I land on this. So I'm not saying fire Blashill this minute. I'm not there, even though, like I said, I have been one of Blashill's bigger critics over the years. Um, but it it's coming to a head. Even if that head is the end of this season, like we need to see the October Red Wings for a majority of the season, and not the December first, the current Red Wings, because we've seen that they can do it. Now, like that, that first two months of the season was almost a curse, curse to blast show. Cause now there is no excuse. We've seen it. Well, you know, the talent is there. They've done it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the one criticism, like, and this almost falls in line that a lot of people have had of blast show is there's too many, too much consistent regression. 
a lot of key players do not improve and sometimes go backwards. Like the defense from last year was good and now it's terrible again. Like the power play saw an uptick and it's bad again. The penalty kill saw an uptick and it's bad again. That it's a theme. And it and now Blashill has a very short window to prove he can reverse that trend. We we have to see progression and roster be damned, we've seen them do it. Be funny if uh at the practice today Blashell's like, all right, we're bag skating. Everybody get down to the goal line. And then Steve Eiserman comes out with his skates. He's like, you too, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, Blashell looked not happy. Today. No, no, good. Like, I I have, I hate everything Blashell did last night, but I like the way he responded this morning. Second best attribute for a coach, I have to be an excellent problem solver. Which isn't... Uh... Third is you have to know how to tango, but we won't tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth one is Patreon exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so a lot of NHL coaches just, just uh, subscribe to our Patreon. Um, I don't know what else there really is to say. No, not much. It's... It, I'm, I'm really struggling with it. It's, it's a constant tug of war between the... like. You break it down, you're like, yeah, goaltending is this bad, blah, blah, blah. And you also break it down, like, how many flat starts are we going to talk about this year where the team lost before they even started? And it's just, it almost feels like ration and reason and uh, an emotional response, but both of those different attributes take place on both sides of the argument. Like, it's, it feels like a fever dream, and I feel like we're too in the weeds on it because it's been so long. Yeah, we're at the point we can't see the forest through the trees. <laughs> no. That's what it feels like, honestly. It's cause for a two-week vacation. Evan, you picked the destination. I need a set of clubs. And oh my, oh. his eyes just <laughs> lit up. He just got so happy. Oh, don't attempt me with a good time. Oh boy. Okay. Um, I know we promised a prospect profile, but why don't we just double up next episode? Okay. And uh, more justice to Verana, and you know more insider laying out a big hit which i know is a silly thing to talk about but it's kind of all we have but for now uh, let's jump into overtime which is brought to you by our incredible patreon supporters patrons as a quick way of saying thanks uh we gave you uh coupon codes in the uh which you can see if you log into patreon for the wingedwheelpodcast.com uh shop no minimum purchase um we just added the uh Quarter zips from the Winged Wheel podcast night. The idea is quarter now, zips. No one will know who's who. <laughs> Which is your dream. Let's all wear them to yeah. the Winged Wheel podcast night. Uh, by popular demand. So we added those to the store. And you can use it on that or anything else that you Listen, want. Listen, I hate everything you give me. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> but those ones I would actually, I actually enjoyed wearing. Okay, They're comfortable. Okay, where's yours now? Where is it now? <laughs> it's in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I said Evan can you say with 110% certainty that you know where it is and he said yes it's in my house mm-hmm you think definitely like how how what's the defined area of certainty I know mine's in North America <laughs> well if someone at the Marriott is wearing it we'll know for sure <laughs> uh okay uh we're gonna jump into some questions from patreon midweek episodes of overtime is our patreon exclusive one day i'll find the right words josh <laughs> josh brink says unfortunately steve has to wait nine more months to fire jeff blasho because his birthday isn't until december 10th <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, Mormon uh, side Vincent says, I'll take one for the team here and admit that I was wrong about Danny DeKaiser. He was obviously the glue holding this team together. Come back, Danny. We miss you. <laughs> yep. And you know, the, you know, he enjoyed that game. You Danny DeKaiser is a good sport. Like he's, he's, he's a good dude who very obviously has taken his lumps, which I'm sure is made better by his contract, et cetera, et cetera. But anybody watching that game would go. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's not right, but he's definitely thinking it. A lot of these comments are going to be very fun to read in the Patreon exclusive overtime. Uh, Nick, they're Pu- not as long as I thought they would. be. I think everyone's just despondent. We're all tired. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Putty says, "Just to lighten the mood, I just want to give a shout out to our Fond du Lac Squirt Eight team on their Wisconsin Wisconsin State Championship and ending the season going forty five and 45 and zero. Shit! Oh my God! It's like Mr. Burns' softball team." <laughs> Love a good Simpsons reference. <laughs> um, winged wheels and steering wheels says that was pathetic. Anyways, if you take every player that now calls Mo Sider daddy and put them on a team, how far would they get in the playoffs? Considering Crosby would be a centerpiece, I imagine they'd go far. Crosby, Matthews, Chikrin. Like, it's an impressive list. Hedman. Hedman, yeah. Kirby Doc is on there as well. Kirby Doc. It's not bad. Has he taken a run at a goalie yet? That's no. problem. Scores on him too soon. Yeah, okay. <sighs> Uh, Eric Boyle says, first comment, and I don't know how long, nothing could ever make me envious of Coyotes fans, but this might be as close as it can get. (laughs) On a more serious note, even if we aren't trying to win in the short term, keeping Blashill around at this point is detrimental to the organization. The team looks like a catastrophe, and it's eliminating any chance we had at getting a return on any of our trade pieces. Even the 200 hockey men GMs won't be fooled into bringing in a Nick Letty when this team is giving up almost six goals a game. My only counter to that is I think Nick Letty was doing a good enough job of taking his own trade value this year. Yeah. Yeah. He did himself no favors. Michael Barry says, do you think the team came out flat because Blashill didn't fight for the third goal where Lindstrom got his stick knocked out of his hand? I mean, Sider got four minutes on a weak call. Yeah. It's nine goals. I can't. You, you, this is bigger. Like nine goals is bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this game was going off the rails already at that point in terms of how the Red Wings were playing. Uh, anyways, cheers, and hopefully these guys play a little bit uh, better in front of you. Better in front of you when it's Winged Wheel Podcast Night. Oh God, I hope so. <laughs> if they play like this against Columbus, like our section is going to be downright insufferable. Uh, Babe Landeskog has an interesting question that says, "What are intangibles really?" Well, inherently, if we could answer that question, then um, good vibes and leadership qualities. What are some main or important t- intangibles and how can they be quantified or why are they important, especially come trade deadline time? Um, it's exactly what you would think is the best answer. The guy who's going to stand up in the room and carve into their teammates when something like that happens to make sure it doesn't happen. Generally good dudes, like guys who can keep the room loose, like crack a joke at the right time, break up a tense situation, you know, lean young, someone young players can lean on, like even goofy shit. Like we see how, um, all, all the funny stuff cider and Raymond have brought this year. Like that helps a room. Like if a room gets too serious, it becomes a problem. If a room is not serious enough, it's a problem. So you, you need those offset of personality types and, and the best guys are the ones who can do both. So it, it's just dumb little stuff like that. It's no different than a typical workplace setting. You know, leaders lead. I'm not walking around naked at work, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Depends on the day. Yeah. 
Casual Fridays. You work from home, though. So really, is that a true statement? <laughs> Not answering that on the record. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. These questions are, these comments are like, this is what I mean when I, when I think the, the, my fence sitting on black is going to be unpopular. Not that I was scared to say it. Like I, if you want to burn by all means, burn us in the mentions here, but there's a very prevalent theme through all of them. For, <laughs> for example, I'll read st- safe. You should put, you should take all the words and do like one of those word, word charts. Yeah. yeah. Word clouds. Yeah. Be the F <laughs> bomb and, and blast are the two biggest ones. Uh, stay fresh cheese bags. The first line is just in all caps. Ha 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 repeatedly. Uh, and then says, anyone surprised by this outcome has not been paying attention. Blashill screaming his face red while the players stared off into nothing is telling, as is Stevie scowling from the box seats and shaking his head in disgust. This was the worst effort I've ever watched from the Red Wings in the worst defensive stretch of games during this entire rebuild. I'd rather maintain solid eye contact with a, uh, <laughs> a uh, someone doing something um on the midnight one train from south ferry to washington heights then watch another game like this again <laughs> and i just ordered my stu- stupid sexy quarter zip need to keep supporting you vagrant himbos <laughs> thanks for guiding us through this dreck i don't mean this i mean this genuinely joseph you are a wordsmith and we are not worthy <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there yeah, I feel like we all need to put Vagrant Himbo in our Twitter profiles. <laughs> yeah, that maybe that's our spinoff podcast name, the Vagrant Himbos. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brad has a hard stop, so we're going to wrap up the wing- this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, we will bring you a double-up uh, prospect profile next episode to make up for it. Like we said, there's always a risk of a conversation like that running long. Um, and let's, uh, let's hope that the next couple of games, you know, Minnesota and Calgary, which... Oh. Are gonna service- I can't even make the joke because I'm not even confident in it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope we look stupid. Come Sunday, I hope we look stupid. Minnesota's been on a real cold streak lately. Oh, oh God. Don't say that. We've Any other team that would be a positive implication? Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> to all of our listeners, thank you. Um, to everyone who's bought stuff from the winged wheel podcast shop. Thank you. Our Patreon supporters. You are the actual heart and soul of this podcast. Um, I'd like to thank the sponsor of the show, the FanDuel Sportsbook. our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand foundation, Kyle Kragitz, Nick perks, Brett Bailey, Terry driver of the number 69 crying Ryan hand has been in a slam jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Matthew M rice, B Diz, boost Lobsinger, Carl Brutana, Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hanali, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Boos McBipperson, Connor Leighton, Dave W, Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card. Insert random Brad related name here. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max One Million Dollars, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. I hope everyone 
I hope everyone just has a better night. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.